Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hello, Koshi here with a small favor. Each year we run a subscriber survey to help us understand our audience and what we can do to help you be a better investor. I'd love you to fill it out. You can find it at osbiz.co.survey or follow the link in the program notes. To sweeten the deal, there are some great prizes on offer, including lunch with the Ausbiz experts. Thanks for doing that. Now enjoy the call. Good afternoon to you. A warm welcome from us all here at Ausbiz. This is The Call, 10 companies picked by you, two expert guests, all in one hour for this Wednesday, the 9th of March. I'm Nadine Blaney. Just sitting in for David Kosh today and very pleased to welcome to the program, joining me via Skype, Andrew Wideland from DP Wealth Advisory. And he's back, Rudy Filipek van Dyke from FN Arena. Rudy, how have you been? Where have you been? Uh, well, I haven't been missing David, but don't tell him. <laughs> well, our viewers and have been and missing you. And I managed to stay dry. And yeah. I managed to stay dry. Good. I guess uh, we have all found out recently whether our houses are watertight or not. How about you, Andrew? How are you doing up there in Toowoomba? Yeah, well, of course, the rain that's uh, being experienced in Sydney, we had about 10 days ago. So uh, certainly a lot of uh, sympathy and uh, thoughts for, for everyone out there in the Osbys family. It's uh, not a lot of fun at, at uh, the moment. Mother uh, Nature showing us her awe. Who's in charge, really? Now, uh, talk about uh, who's in charge of this market. Uh, Andrew, it's pretty volatile out there, isn't it? Yes, I was about to say, if you could tell me, I'd really like to know because, uh, yeah, it's it's all over the show at the moment. And certainly we've got uh, geopolitical concerns. We've obviously got sort of the, dare I say, it, uh, moving into endemic stage and uh, all the wash through from that financial stimulus, inflation, et cetera, and the impact on interest rates. Uh, so yes, yeah, certainly uh, plenty of moving parts. Uh, as I said, uh, Takoshi and Henry at the beginning of the year, 2022, the year of volatility. Here we are in March. So far, so good. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Rudy, um, I was speaking with a couple of guests on this program actually last week and their attitude was don't do anything for the next couple of weeks until we start to see how this you know, the, this, this situation, this devastation in Ukraine ends up panning out. Is that uh, sage advice? Uh, that's probably the best advice you can give people, yes. I mean, I'm not so, I mean there is no general advice in, 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 this, in these markets. It all depends on what your, what your personal uh, situation is and how much money you already have in this share market. But I think in general terms, this is not a market in which you want to be 100% invested in. I mean, you have to have some cash on the sidelines. Um, for starters, you want to sleep at night. And, 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 and the second thing is, it cannot be um, completely, um, well, it is an option that, that things can get worse from here, even without escalation in, uh, in, in the Ukraine. And that's something we have to take into consideration as investors. In particular, if you, take, if you, if you manage your own money, I mean, money lost is money lost. 
and, and it takes sometimes a lot of effort and a lot of time to, to win it back. Having said so, um, I always say to investors, well, it is not a given that bad or worst case scenarios have already been baked in and that the, the ultimate outcome will be something along the lines of 2008 or so. That's not a given. It's, it's, a, it's a possibility, but it's not a given. So um, to, to continue on, uh, on Andrew's call, I think this is a market without direction. And what you see is a typical trend followers. They are no longer following the trend in this market. And it become, that's why the only thing that the market can do is create a lot of volatility because the market itself doesn't know in which direction to turn for the time being. Yeah. All right. There's lots to digest out there, including a Fed meeting that we have coming up in which we'll start to see monetary policy tightening there. And perhaps even this year, we're told by RBA Governor Philip Lowe just today. Let's get back to stocks, though. So um, just to run our viewers through what we will be discussing in the next half hour or so. Phineas, Nemoy, Cotton. Haven't talked about that one before. Resolute Mining, Redbubble and the Vanguard Australian Fixed Interest Index ETF. We've got Andrew here. Why not? And for the stock of the day, I thought we'd uh, take a closer look at Nickel Mines. It has entered a trading pause after a 23% plunge in this morning's session. It comes after the LME suspended nickel trade until Friday, given an unprecedented surge in the price of the commodity. It doubled from 50 to $100,000 a ton in just a matter of hours. Worth noting that Russia is a key nickel producer and of course, it uh, was a short squeeze that really saw things unwind through the overnight session. So what do our experts think about Nickel Mines, the company? And I suppose in that, some of the astounding moves in commodity prices across the globe. Andrew, I'll start with you for Nickel Mines. Pig iron nickel, it's used in stainless steel. Yeah, and uh, you're quite right. This whole commodities complex is just going off the charts. Um, if I can start rolling out some cliches early, uh, 14 year highs last week and certainly not drawing breath. We saw as an example, Peabody uh, oversees the, uh, the coal miner. Uh, it shares intraday yesterday down 27% after it was disclosed they had to make a $500 million margin call payment relating to some of the uh, the hedging strategies they had in place uh, relating to coal. So we don't have a lot of information about nickel mines at the moment, but uh, noting some of the other nickel players aren't well, aren't suspended and aren't moving around as much, it sort of makes you wonder, is that potentially what's going on with nickel? We'll only find out in the, period, um, in the course of time, of course. But interesting to note with nickel mines prior to their suspension, 17 times the daily volume going through, which is... Uh, which is pretty mind-blowing sort of stuff. So uh, to Rudy's point before, certainly plenty of speculators and wannabe trend followers trying to find something to jump on or off as it would be in this case. But uh, I mean, Koshi's question, would you buy it? Well, we can't, of course, it's, uh, it's suspended at the moment, but uh, I would just be incredibly cautious in anything in that commodity space, in particular things that have doubled over three days and margin calls, et cetera. It certainly shows the system under duress and I'd probably be just standing aside with a case of popcorn watching with interest. Yeah, it's an interesting one because it's also got a partnership with Tingshan, which is one of the Chinese companies that has been uh, it mentioned in terms of a potential margin call coming through there. Um, fundamentally, though, Rudy, if I look on FN Arena, the brokers have liked this one. Um, Accumulate from Ordmanet, outperform from Macquarie, Credit Suisse has got an outperform, and Citi's got a buy on the stock. What do you think of nickel mines? Or is it, again, just, just too 
too much of a dangerous time right now to be looking at it, considering <laughs> it. Well, things like nickel mines, they are, it is a little bit of a strange beast. Uh, I mean, it operates in Indonesia. It has a, it has a very close relationship with, uh, with steel manufacturers in China. And it produces predominantly nickel pick iron, as Andrew pointed out, which is essentially a cheap alternative to the pure nickel. Uh, having said so, um, this company has, uh, if everything goes correctly and according to plan, has a has a big increase in in annual volumes ahead of itself. And um, if if everything goes to plan over the next few years, it will it will enter the top ten of global nickel producers in the world now. Why am I a little bit cautious, as Andrew, of course, as well, is that if you're not adjusted to the typical volatility and to the typical characteristics of, of having um, commodities in your portfolio, that this probably is not really a good idea to jump on board here. Having said so, if you have the right profile for that, then I mean, you, could take, you could take a punt on this company absolutely for sure, because post, and of course, we don't know yet what the reason is for the, for the exact uh, the trading hold, but if, if assuming that is simply related to the to the LME in London, and not to the company specific, then I mean the increase in volume for the for the for the years ahead should ultimately was, uh, um, end up with a higher share price. All else being equal, now having said so, commodities are never that simple, of course, and you see that today, small companies, uh, small changes in details make a big big impact on the share price. So I would caution that this is only for investors who, who know what they're doing and have a high appetite for risk. Okay, risky proposition is a takeaway from that. Thank you guys. Let's get on to the companies that have been nominated by our viewers. This one is for AJ, it's Phineas FCL, asking for a view, especially uh, for you, Rudy, and whether you still have a favorable long-term view of the business <laughs> or whether disruptions to the business may be more permanently than previously envisioned. I do remember speaking with you about Phineas uh, quite some time ago. So what's your current thesis? And with Claude, I think we spoke about it a couple mm -hmm. of times. Uh, I, I think the thesis hasn't changed for Phineas, but um, just in a general sense, if I were a doctor, and this was my patient, I would definitely be checking for some pulse there because uh, the share price has really taken a beating, um, as has, of course, the whole sector. I mean, Phineas has two disadvantages. One is it's not profitable. That's going to cost you in this environment, and it has, as you see in the share price. The second problem is that this is an Irish company that uh, came to the market with a lot of ambition. It's going to digitize the insurance industry, uh, which is nice if they can sign up new customers. Now, what has happened with COVID and with uh, the lockdowns and, and now with climate change uh, hitting the industry is that the industry is actually very reluctant to change its ways for the time being. So the company is basically not able to, to sign on uh, too many new customers and, and investors lose their patience at some point. So assuming that that industry shift into digitization is still going to happen, it's just going to happen at a more more uh, delayed pace and it's not going to completely stop here there's definitely a future for for Phineas but investors will want to wait until where's the evidence where are the new customers and when is when when are they finally coming on board and that's why a share price like this can can remain cheaper for for much longer um, so I wouldn't be I mean, if I own it I wouldn't sell it here now, I'm not owning it at the moment I, I've owned it for a while I made some profits out of it but uh, if I don't own it, I may want to wait a little bit longer because you can sit on this for quite a while. And in the meantime, uh, you might lose your patience just at the wrong time. 
Got it. Thank you, Rudy. Andrew, what do you uh, what do you think about Phineas as an investment opportunity now, considering that chart that we just had up on screen? Yeah, the chart wasn't too flash, and that was in part due to some profit downgrade guidance that we got in their uh, in their recent results. So, and I was just looking as as Rudy was speaking so eloquently about the business. I'm thinking, maybe I got this wrong. I'll just have a quick look, um, which is unusual. I'm never wrong, of course. Uh, PE of 55 uh, and forecast earnings of 12 percent. So, of course, uh, one of my favourite measures being the peg ratio. It uh, sort of immediately sort of fails that. So. I, uh, I'd be reasonably cool for all the reasons that Rudy just outlined, um, in particular the insurance uh, industry under immense pressure at the moment. Uh, I guess the other thing that concerns me is concentration risk. Uh, their top three clients make up 49% of their business. So, uh, you know, on uh, contract renewal, you see this a little bit with Genworth as an example, GMA, whereby uh, one of the banks is coming up for renewal and there's a bit of uncertainty as to whether they're going to proceed or not, that impacts the price. So I, I just think it's probably too expensive. There's lots to like, you know, they're um, in the right industry relating to the digitisation piece. Uh, the R&D spend is great, uh, lots to like, but certainly not at these levels. Thank you. That is Phineas, AJ. Now, Namoy Cotton. This is one that's uh, interesting because our, our um, our viewer has given some context saying that I've been buying small lots over the mm. last 12 months as obviously those uh, seasonal conditions on the east coast of Australia have improved. Now holds about 5% of the portfolio in this name. Now the cotton crop is forecast by ABERS to come in uh, at about 1.2 million tonnes, which is a big crop for Australia. I'll have to take our viewers' word on that. I can't find the name anywhere. Uh, the cotton price is at the high end of the range, um, you know, continues to sort of state the case for owning this company, including the fact that a lot of these Australian agricultural stocks have had a really good run higher. So, Andrew, you're up there in, uh, in Queensland. Uh, you know, does this opportunity, does this name prevent value? So thanks, Simon, for your question. Um, of course, Nadine specifically asked me this question because where is NAMI headquartered? Yep. Toowoomba. In fact, Good. about 400 metres that way. So uh, certainly no NAMI's impact upon our local community. Interesting that you talk about, um, Simon, you know, um, buying up parts of this in the portfolio. Uh, it's important to note that this is incredibly thinly traded. And what I mean by that is literally $4,000 a day on average traded um, for a $71 million company. So, you know, this is what I would call a crab pot. Somewhat easy to get into, very difficult to get out of. So, you know, if, if um, investors are going to be buying this, you want to be very confident that you're uh, in the right space. And that chart just there is going to illustrate perfectly my next point. So thank you um, to Libby for mind reading. This is the type of company that is really going to do well when conditions are perfect. And conditions, frankly, are perfect. Um, whereas if you look at the chart there back in 2018, when it was languishing back at 31 cents, 
that's probably the place to be sort of buying it. Now, obviously, there was a lot of issues then. Cotton price, they had a fair bit of debt, et cetera, et cetera. But I would be, despite all the positive noise that's coming out, and certainly rightly so, as a commodities business, you want to be buying it when it's sort of under pressure, not when all the uh, the moons are aligning. There might be a little bit more of a kick, but certainly that deep value at 48 cents is not there. So uh, it is at best a hold. Thank you. Uh, Rudy, what do you think of this company? I mean, yeah, it's cyclical. All of these companies are cyclical at the best of times. Uh, do you have any sort of concern hearing that about 5% of the portfolio is held in this one name and looking to, to increase that holding potentially? Well, I, I hate to say this, but Andrew uh, basically mowed the, the, the grass in front of my feet here. Uh, so I'm going to try to I'm going to try to add a little bit more. It's not just cyclical; it's very small. I mean, some in in a in a little bit of an exaggerated sense, some of the CEOs of uh, leading companies on the stock exchange, they spend this on an annual budget to go out and meet friends and eat okay. and drink, and this is the whole capitalization of the company. So it's very small, and what Andrew correctly pointed out is that the, the, the mistake investors make is to look at today's trading volume and think like, oh, that's quite good. And, and I can easily get in on this and I can accumulate and I can average down, average up everything. Once a stock like this falls out of favor, you'd be surprised by how little of that volume rests and remains. And on some days there might be literally, literally nothing going on in the share price. And there you're sitting there and trying to get out. Um, but I'm assuming that as a retail investor, that this potentially could be less of a consideration because you're probably not going to spend millions of dollars in accumulating your stake. But nevertheless, the, I think the bottom line here is you have to be careful. In, in Wall Street lingo, you date these stocks. You don't get married to them. Or another, another way of saying is these are rallies that you rent. You don't buy it. You don't own it. So. This is not something you have for the longer term. Look at the price chart that was up earlier. Uh, the share price can easily be back to 31 cents next year or the year after. Uh, these are not long term invest investments. I mean, I remember the whole uh, theme of uh, Australia was going to be the food bowl of Asia and nothing comes out of that. That's because agricultural stocks have typically very short cycles. So you have to be careful in going with the crowd when everything is looking very, very good. So it's a sell then. If conditions are perfect, why wouldn't well, you sell I, it I, and take profits yes, if you yes, got in I at a cheaper go, price? I, I, I wouldn't go in in the first place. For me, it's uh, too small a company, too volatile, too uncertain. And also with the, with, the, with, the, with the hindsight disadvantage that if you blink and you're the last man holding the stock, uh, you may, not, you may mm -hmm. have difficulties in getting out at a reasonable price. Yeah, so Andrew, same question to you. Uh, if uh, we can assume that the viewer bought it at a cheaper price because he's held it for a while. I mean, why wouldn't you sell now if conditions are perfect and you know that they will change? Are you trying to get me lynched, Nadine? Are you trying to make sure that I can't go home this <laughs> No, I looked it up. It actually says that the headquarters of Naomi Cotton is a place called Weewa. There's well, according to my screen, around the corner. <laughs> I'll, I'll take your word for it. It's <laughs> become a satellite branch, perhaps. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, you're right. Like, and the, the seminal part of your question that you just asked there was, if you are certain, no one's certain at the moment. That's how we started the show. Yeah. Uh, so I would be, uh, I, I would just, from my point of view, and again, 
just as we said, there's $4,000 a day that's traded. Just as you incrementally got yourself in, you'd probably want to incrementally get yourself out. You wouldn't just have the epiphany, I'm selling, sell the lot, because either, you know, you're just going to drive the share price straight back down again. And like I also said in my answer, there's probably incrementally a little bit more in it if favourable conditions hold, but certainly those, that easy gain has been made, and I would be very cautious in buying more before it's a hold. Thank you. All right, guys, let's get on to the next on the list. It is Resolute Mining, and this is for Taya. Uh, look, Resolute Mining, well, we know what broader macro environment we're in. Rudy, is it a buy, hold, or a sell for you? Mm, it's an avoid. Um, and I think it's worth pointing out, I know where the attraction comes from. It's that typical value searching. And this is a, a, a gold producer who is mm -hmm. operating in Africa, uh, who recently had yet another disappointing update uh, for their financials too high costs and there's all listen, in africa there's always something that goes wrong and it has particularly applied to uh, to the mines that this company operates the danger that you have as an investor is trying to find the value in the sector the laggards and then sometimes you 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 make completely the wrong choice because there's a very good reason why that stock hasn't had the same trajectory as for example uh, a Northern Star or uh, a, a Newcrest or any, any of the or Zimbabwe or any of the other gold producers. So I would caution to to try to pick up the laggards that haven't genuinely uh, performed in line with the sector. And I would, on a risk-adjusted basis, I very much prefer to go for uh, for a gold producer that is a much better shape, that might have potentially a lower return, but you also avoid the chance that the share price at some place tanks when the company again has to issue a bad market update. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's an avoid for Rudy. Andrew, I'm sure lots of your clients are asking about gold and its importance in a portfolio right now in an inflationary environment, which we know, but is sovereign risk one reason why you would stay away from Resolute in favor of some of the Aussie producers? Indeed, or heaven forbid, buy an ETF, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, but no, certainly uh, not a big fan of Resolute um, for all the reasons that Rudy just espoused. Uh, sovereign risk would be a key consideration for me. Also, though, if you just look at that chart, the chart looks absolutely dreadful. Like if you know you want a sort of Wikipedia dreadful chart, there's one for you. Um, it's, it's lost 24% per annum over the last five years. And if you compare that to the, um, to the broader market, the market's up around 6% per annum over that same period of time. So with due respect, this has just been a wealth destroyer. This has not been a wealth protector or accumulator. So I uh, would prefer being the boring ETF guy, GDX, which owns the top uh, gold mining countries, uh, companies rather, in the world. Uh, Barrick, Newmont, Newcrest, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, or, and the, the reason I do that is you'll then get a, getting leverage to that gold price, or you could just simply buy uh, the ETF GOLD, which as the name suggests, it just literally tracks the gold price. So you're right, gold should be part of your portfolio. It's just whether you try and pick a particular company and therefore you're backing management and their ability to extract the, uh, the product out of the ground at the cheapest possible price and the risk that go with that, or do you buy a basket that just buys the world's best and, uh, and, does, and does that, and that's sort of where I've landed with my clients. Got it, thank you. And the next on the list is Redbubble. Let's see if we can 
make a market here. You guys have been agreeing a lot with one another. Uh, so Redbubble is for Will. Will, I hope you're watching. Don't forget, this is information only. It's not designed for your personal specific financial situation. So you do need to get advice or do your own research. That's just my reminder. Uh, Rudy, Redbubble, competition, margins being squeezed, spending on marketing and advertising. Have I missed anything? Um, let me try this one. <laughs> I can still pull faces. That I just <laughs> want to try to test that one. Um, I think in Red Bubble, in Red Bubble's case, um, if you go back to pre-pandemic, pre-2020, and you look at the share price, and it's absolutely doing nothing, it's just going sideways. Then all of a sudden, in 2020, it has this humongous mountain that builds up in the share price, and of course, because we all go online, and it's it's in line. There it is. That's in line with the new theme. Now, the question I had before the pandemic and now at this point in time is, do these guys actually have a profitable business model? And I really, really doubt this. And even in, in 2020, when everyone was jumping on board and it was the new business model, I was really doubting whether that was actually the case. And I'm still doubting it today. And on, unless I get convinced at some point, and I don't think I will, I will be easily convinced on this one, uh, I just say avoid this one. I mean, there are much less risky propositions out there. And you're basically taking a punt here that this company has more to offer than simply the temporary boost from, from everyone being in lockdown. Got it. Thank you. Court case as well over uh, copyright infringements. That's got to be the list, isn't it, Andrew? Sorry, Nadine. Rudy and I seem to be kindred spirits, so we're going to be uh, four for four here. Uh, look, no, it's the uh, one of the things that really, to Rudy's point, you know, pre-pandemic, they were sort of bubbling along, no pun intended. Uh, they sort of made a, a fair bit of money selling masks. But of course, uh, as I referenced before, as we're now hopefully moving into endemic and their mask sales are falling away, that's obviously a challenge for them as well. Interesting to note, after that profit warning consensus target for the company dropped by 50%. So all the analysts who were following it as well went, no, not so sure. So consensus, I think, is $2.60. So no, it's a, uh, it's a hard no from me. Thank you. Well, that's an avoid from both of our expert guests today. Now let's get to the Vanguard Australian Fixed Interest Index ETF, VAF. It's a mouthful. Andrew, this is for Yasmin. What do you think? I don't know if uh, she holds or is looking to, to gain some sort of specific exposure for a specific reason, but tell us about it. Yeah, so Rudy, in one of his answers earlier, I think it was when we were talking gold, was talking about trying to have some defence in your portfolio so that if things are going to custard somewhere around the world, and a special shout out to our friends uh, in Ukraine, it's pretty ordinary there, of course, at the moment, then you want to have cash and that's the bare minimum. But uh, certainly when we're building portfolios, we're sticking in other defensive assets, be it gold, or fixed interest or and or bonds or a combination thereof. So this is where something like VAF would fit quite nicely into that. So VAF is paying a dividend yield of around 2.69% per annum. So it's certainly nothing to write home about. It's nothing terribly exciting. But what's made up in there is it's principally uh, bonds issued by the federal government, state governments around Australia, and credit-worthy corporates. So basically, in simple terms, you're lending money 
to these organisations and you're confident they're going to pay you back in very simple terms. So in an environment where we've got uncertainty as to earnings and what's going on with inflation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, having defensive part of your portfolio like bonds and this style of product makes a lot of sense. So certainly very relaxed with this as to what percentage you hold. That's a function of how much risk you want to bear. Bearing in mind that it's not going to grow, you really have it in there because it's just going to hold you in good stead. And take last Friday as an example, when we had news of that shelling or alleged shelling of that nuclear power plant in uh, Ukraine, you had these styles of products, despite the market going down, they were actually going up because people were flocking to government bonds as a, force, uh, a safe haven. So I'm very relaxed with this as a defensive part of your portfolio. So it's a buy, Nadine. Thank you. Rudy, is there a more interesting, perhaps a more fruitful way to build defense in your portfolio than uh, what Andrew admits is not an exciting ETF? Uh, I think you read my mind, uh, Nadine. I was looking for a bell. I don't have a bell in my, uh, my house here, but I would ring the bell because it's not going to be four out of four. It's going to be four out of five. Uh, I think, I mean, in theory, and in the broad sense, I agree with Andrew, but there are specific risks to having an instrument like this particular uh, ETF in your in your portfolio. In particular, because the average yield you're getting is not that high, which means that the, the price of the ETF doesn't have to move that much. And you're already sitting on no return, if not a negative return. And if you have a, I, for memory, I believe that over the past 12 months, this ETF has had a negative return. And it's not difficult to know why that is, because a lot of investors, and I had some questions recently from, from our database as well, people who had similar products in their portfolio and didn't understand how the correlation works between an ETF like this and how the bond market behaves. See, let's, let's take a very bad scenario where inflation uh, goes into the double digits, uh, bond yields have to move a lot higher from here, and central banks have to uh, continue uh, uh, raising interest rates, and we do not end up in a recession. Uh, it's possible. I mean, on that case, you are going to lose money on this ETF because it will have to reset to a higher yield, which means it has to fall in price. That's how bonds work. And your defensive instrument is going to give you a negative return. Now, Having said so, I do believe that for the time being, bonds probably have done their dough here. And the scenario I just described, I still think that's, a, that's a, not a high probability, but it is a probability. And if you believe that uh, in interest rates can only go up here and bond deals can only go up because inflation is going to stick around for much, much longer, look, for example, food prices and oil, then this is not an instrument to have in your portfolio. Cash will beat this. Write a reply, Andrew, or agree to disagree. There you go. Thank you. Uh, no, look, Rudy's bang on. Uh, and this sort of then comes to this whole passive versus active discussion. So again, when we're building portfolio, so this is an example of a passive ETF. It's following the Bloomberg Australian Bond Composite Index. But in that defensive space, you would then barbell it with an active that would be taking advantage of price moves. So Rudy's right, and certainly that, uh, dare I describe it, nightmare scenario that he's just described would put lots of assets under pressure, never mind bonds. But in our sort of realm of 14 ETFs, of which I might add, this is not in the portfolio, but this style, 
then you would barbell it with an active one to try and mitigate that passive risk. But certainly everything that Ruby said, they are active considerations you need to have. Thank you. All right, guys, take a bit of what a great breather. show. What a great show. Isn't it wonderful? Imagine if you were here in studio with me, Rudy. It wouldn't get much better than that. Let's get to summarize these stocks that we've just discussed. So Nickel Mines was on the list. It is um, only for really uh, risky uh, investors. So investors willing to take on risk, according to Rudy. Um, but look, Andrew says it's just, it's not one that he would hold at this time. There's still so many uncertainties out there. Then we got to Phineas. FCL is the ticker code there. Rudy has owned it in the past. It's a hold if you already own it, but he says it could take a long time to, to come good. Uh, the thesis hasn't changed much, but he sees it coming much later. But I wonder what the opportunity cost is there. And I think that might be sort of what Andrew is thinking as well. Um, look, he thinks that it's expensive, it's got concentration risk, and the insurance industry is under immense pressure. It's a no-go for him. Now, the next on the list is Nemoy Cotton. Now, I think that um, Andrew wants to be able to walk down the streets uh, without being harassed. So he's saying if you own it, hold it, because there could be a little bit more in it. But there is a perfect situation right now with um, cotton and it could be a lobster trap you can get in but very difficult to get out it's just too small for rudy he's not interested it's not something for the longer term we get to resolute mining uh andrew says yes for gold exposure but do so via an etf not for resolute mining which does come along with sovereign risk he called it a wealth destroyer rudy agrees it's an avoid for him he would ra much rather get exposure to the gold story through some of the big listed companies here in Australia. Redbubble, well, Rudy doubts it's a profitable business model and he doesn't think you're gonna be able to change his mind about that one, it's an avoid for him. And Andrew points out that in the wake of its most recent update, it had a consensus target price drop by about 50%. That is not spelling good things for him. Uh, look, we just heard about the Vanguard Australian Fixed Interest Index ETF. Andrew says you could own it as part of a defensive strategy, but note there is strategy that's needed with it. And Rudy says, nope, the yield is not that high and there are better ways to build defensiveness into your portfolio. Speaking of the portfolio, our new portfolio is live. Our first investment committee meeting is available online if you'd like to watch it. So that's when the experts got given a whole heap of companies and they picked the 10 or so stocks that they want into the calls high conviction fund. So this is what it looks like. Um, there is an equal allocation to BHP, Macquarie Mineral Resources, Steadfast, Aristocrat, Audinate, CSL, NextDC, and Universal Store. Uh, then we have, have half units of Qantas and Frontier Digital Ventures and 20%, 20% is being held in cash right now. So the committee will meet again and they will assess all the buys that have been put to them from the call. So this program keeps going and we keep the portfolio up to date. So, you know, still keep sending your requests as you do and keep the call switched on and we will uh, keep you updated as to when the investment committee meets next.
At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Welcome back to the call. Our next five companies to be discussed, Mass Group, MGH, Beach Energy, BPT, that'll be interesting, BetaShares Global Agricultural Companies ETF, Andrew, and uh, Gold Road, as well as Atlas Arteria. Hmm, we should have done Gold Road, I think, a little bit earlier in the program, but no matter, let's get to Mass Group, and this one is for Ben. Ben, hope you're watching or listening. Uh, I will begin with you, Rudy. Speaking of cyclical businesses, this is one, but the cycle's probably moving in its favor right now, considering it services the, um, you know, the infrastructure end of the market. It will, you know, likely get some of that business, which is the, you know, pipelines really being extended out for a few more years. What do you think of Mass? Uh, well, obviously, I immediately recognize the Dutch name in it. Um, and that's obviously the founder. Uh, so I'm probably one of the few who can only accurately pronounce the company name. What is it? Uh, Maas. Maas, okay. <laughs> well, I have a funny accent at Maas the best of, of times. Yeah. <laughs> what does it mean? Uh, it's a river in, uh, in the Netherlands. Okay. It's, the things uh, the you one, learn. The one, the one that also goes through France and Belgium, by the way, and into Germany. Okay. It's a very big one. Uh, uh, Mars Group. Uh, it's 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 a it's a contractor. It's a service provider. It's it's very well diversified. It does it does everything from uh, infrastructure to tunnels to uh, ports to mining companies. Uh, you name it, which uh, which also means there's always a problem somewhere. You will find. Um, my only gripe at this point in time is it is only relatively youngly listed. It it doesn't really have a track record. And the second thing to the second observation to make is that this is a sector that has over time generated quite a lot of value destruction. And that's because the typical characteristic of this sector is, is that you all put in a tender and you try to beat each other on the lowest price and then get the contract. And there are times when that obviously goes, goes into the wrong way. The margins are not that high and usually it can take one project or two and the whole business group basically is destroyed. And we've seen that in the past. So it's not without risk. But at this point in time, I think uh, Mars Group on the, on the financial numbers and the prospects is actually looking quite good. Is that a buy? That would be a buy if, if, you're, if you're willing to own this stock in your portfolio. Yes. First of the, <laughs> first of the program. Just needed to clarify that. What do you think, Andrew? No pressure. Thanks, Rudy. Um, so... We covered this one a, a little while ago when it was $2.80. So obviously it's had a pretty good run from, from $2.80. Of course, it floated back in December 2020 at $2. So the Mars family, thank you for helping me with that pronunciation. Um, they're still holding 68% of the business from memory. Yep, 68% of the business. And given how well it's done, there's been some index buying, which has supported that as well. They did a share purchase plan back in September at $5.50. So those people who participated in that SPP, they're underwater at the moment. So that could be potential drag on it. Um, 
The other thing Rudy briefly touched on is that, you know, they're really diversified business, which is great. They're also getting involved in residential land development in regional areas. So as an example, yesterday they bought some land in Rockhampton. And it's sort of one of two ways. It's either a really good diversifier for them because of the cyclical nature of the business they're in, or are they actually getting too far away from their core competency? Now, that's that's from my point of view, that's too difficult to figure out. But I look at diversified industrial companies, and it's an unfair comparison, but I'll make it, you know, Seven Group or Wes Farmers, whereby if one part of the business is doing poorly, another part does well, and it sort of balances itself out. I'm just not sure whether mass could be sort of mentioned in those other two companies' names. So sorry, Rudy, not a buy for me. It is a hold. Hold and a buy for Mass Group. Okay, Beach Energy next on the list. So this is the question I've been asking everyone. If you have already owned energy and you've seen the price rises that have come through um, for obvious reasons, do you trim and take some profits now? Andrew. Uh, to answer your question, no, because I think, unfortunately, there's more pain coming in that energy space, which then sort of feeds into Rudy's nightmare scenario. Thanks for helping me lose sleep tonight, Rudy. Um, but in the case, of, so no, I wouldn't be trimming my energy exposure. Uh, and long-time uh, listeners and viewers of the call would know that I've been banging on about Beach for quite some period of time. So uh, it's good to see that it's finally having its uh, moment in the sun, albeit under fairly ordinary circumstances. So I, I, I do like Beach a lot. Uh, it's trading near consensus. We have to be mindful that they're looking for a new CEO, and that's one of my amber flashing lights, that when a new CEO comes in, they potentially start looking under benches and cupboards trying to find every skeleton they can. But in the context of the financial piece, uh, even prior to this most recent run in the energy price, it is trading on a PE of eight and a 61% forecast increase in earnings. Its debt to equity is less than 10%. It's got 76 million sitting in the bank. Um, so I, I like it a lot and I'd be very comfortable buying this. Again, Andrew, the ETF guy also buys fuel, F-U-E-L, which again gets you away from concentration risk and buys the big global players. But if you're wanting to buy direct, I'm certain there's a few to choose from, but I'm quite keen on Beach. It is a buy. Thank you. Now, Rudy, we've got a regular viewer who says, Rudy in five plus years has never called a buy on a mining or oil stock. Is today the day for Beach? I think, I think that's factually incorrect. I, 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 I called a buy on nickel mines earlier this program for Stardust. <laughs> No, I'm not going to call beach. I'm not going to call beach a buy. No, um, I'm, 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 I'm definitely different from uh, from Andrew in this position as well. Um, just a few observations um, in the in the recent reporting season, uh, which we do which we do cover quite uh, quite closely. I definitely know the energy sector was was the, by far the underperformer on the operational side, and the only savior for the energy sector is that we have an explosion in oil and gas prices basically. This week, I drew a comparison with 2008, uh, bear market like today. The only thing that worked in the opening months of 2008 was literally crude oil. And crude oil would, would, would top out at $147 a barrel. Uh, at that time, Woodside share price $73 in June 2008. You can look it up. Uh, the share price hasn't even gone to half of that uh, today. 
it gives you a, an idea how volatile this sector is. Um, every time oil runs up this strongly, you have to be careful for the impact on the rest of the share market and the rest of the economy. So I'm hoping that the eternal bulls like Andrew, that they will be proven wrong quite quickly this year, because otherwise this bear market can get a lot nastier for all of us, all the rest. Um, in general terms, um, it's very difficult to pinpoint the, the market exuberance and, and, and the trend that, that uh, obviously establishes itself. But I would think that oil is going to get a lot more volatile from here. And that means those share prices will also get a lot more volatile. And if we do see at some point some, some kind of a resolution in the tightness, those share prices will absolutely tank. In, in line with the, with the oil price. So I would personally not necessarily say you have no exposure, but I would I would reduce my exposure after having had big big gains because it may not be may not be possible to predict when this turns. Thank you. You asked, answered both of my questions. Now let's get to the next one on the list. This again, we're getting into ETF land. It is the BetaShares Global Agriculture Companies ETF. Andrew, to Rudy's point, uh, we've got an inflationary environment. Prices for soft commodities going very well. So can you gain exposure to that thematic via the food ETF or potentially, uh, is it too late to get in? Uh, no, yes and no, if I answered those questions in the right order. Uh, look, I, uh, I've been buying this one since about 5.50. I know friend of the show, James Whelan, VFS Capital, has been banging on, on this one since the early four. So hat tip to James. He was well and truly in front of the curve on this one. Um, and the reason I started buying it was around that is inflation concerns. So uh, certainly from that point of view, it's done the job and then some. Um, I guess I look at it, and it's still quite small as a as an ETF. It's only about 83 million. I might add, the last time we looked at it, I did it as part of a, an ETF special with Koshi June last year. It was 39 million, so it certainly had a bit of a kick along. And what it's doing is it's giving you exposure to the largest ag companies ex Australia, so Archer Daniels, John Deere, Kubota, uh, Tyson Foods. You're getting packaged foods. You're getting fertilisers. Uh, you're getting sort of that whole agri-complex. Um, so, yeah, to your point, Nadine, if you're worried about inflation, if you're thinking about uh, increasing population demand for food, you're thinking climate change. Any one of these things or a combination thereof means that food should be part of your satellite um, complex or satellite thoughts within your portfolio. It's not a core, it's a satellite. Lots of strategy here as well. Now, Rudy, satellite, core, any exposure at all to agri themes? Because we know what you said previously about agricultural stocks, yes. but is it different mm. when you're getting exposure to the whole food thematic? Yes, well, to, to Andrew's credit uh, and, 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 uh, and to yours as well, Nadine, uh, if you want to play this theme, this, this could be a very good thing because what we have in Australia is usually small cap and, and very limited in, 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 in reach. And, and of course, just like we had with the example of, of gold earlier, if you only own Instec Pivot, for example, and they have another problem with their, with their production, then your share price tanks by 15% and you run that risk a lot less when you have an ETF like this. 
plus of course you get uh, it's worth pointing out that at the moment of course this ETF is has very much a rocket on it because we have fertilizer prices we have wheat prices we have grain everything is going those companies way although the ETF has a lot more in it I mean it's not just uh, it's also meat packaging and and, and the likes um, simple observation pre 2020 it did very little it wasn't really doing a lot and so that suggests that um, there are times when this this one is, is performing very well and there will be other times when it's performing not that well at the moment it's performing well and i can see the attraction of having that in your portfolio simply because a lot of other things are not working in this market mm -hmm. okay so was that a buy that was a, um, a hold. A hold. <laughs> Making my life easy, Rudy. No, that's what it's about. It's a buy, hold, or sell on the day. Andrew, stick, stick to your, stick, stick by it. Yeah, you know, let's go to Gold Road is the next on the list. So is anything different with Gold Road than Resolute Mining in your view, Andrew? No. Albeit it's not, um, and sorry, I shouldn't be so flippant. There was lots of challenges with Resolute, which we which we went through. This is actually sort of from a wealth protection point of view, it's actually done pretty well. Um, again, highly concentrated, it's just that one mine in the in the gold fields in, in WA. And as we can see from a chart point of view, that's completely different to Resolute. Uh, it's got a 10 year life, the, the mine, and they're spending about $30 million a year exploring. So they're trying to sort of diversify themselves. It's pretty fully priced relative to not only what it's done over the last five years, but also versus consensus. So uh, certainly, you know, if, if you said you've got to choose Gold Road, Gold Road versus Resolute, I'd certainly do Gold Road. But if you said I just wanted to get some gold, I'd again fall back onto GDX and GOLD. So a better proposition, thank you, but still not enough to get me over the line. Rudy, I don't suppose you're going to say buy for Gold Road, even though share price is up by 7% today. It's the best performer on the 200 as mm. we speak because it reflects what's going on with the gold price. Yes, I'm, I'm a little bit less negative than Andrew on this one, but I, I agree in general in general terms because this is a, a one mine operator. It it it, it has had a, a very good uh, trajectory so far, and the reason why the share price uh, from the past is a bit different is because for a very long time it wasn't producing, and now it is. And and if you start producing and you perform quite well, that's when the share price really starts taking off. But at the end of the day you're beholden to the gold price. And the gold price until recently hasn't really done very, very much. I mean, the gold price actually in US dollars performed negatively over 2021. So that's what the gold uh, producers have to deal with. The, the only reason why I say, uh, not, not, I'm not saying a buy here, is because the share price is performing. And um, again, uh, you have to be careful when, when gold is rallying strongly that it won't it won't fall uh, the next week and then your share price will be a lot lower. I would prefer to buy something like Gold Road if I would buy uh, Gold Road because I do think there are less risky propositions in the market around, then you would probably buy it on, on a pullback and, and preferably a big pullback and, and with gold price uh, to rally further. So this is a hold for me at this, at this level. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And the last on the list, Atlas Arteria, an interesting one. We have talked about it in the context of being a reopening trade as people get back out and lockdowns come to an end. But now we've got to overlay oil prices and we're talking about fuel prices, petrol prices rising. 
Uh, is that a big negative in your view, Rudy, for Atlas Arteria? Uh, no. Um, I think the, the way you have to see it, I think, is that the, the, the high petrol price will delay or will smooth out the recovery uh, for companies like Atlas Arteria and Transurban, uh, for example. I do think, just to, just to immediately make that point clear, I do think Transurban is the better proposition in comparison to Atlas Arteria. And I can quickly explain why that is. If you have a quick look at the, the share prices where they are and uh, the relatively valuations, and, and you can easily establish that through the prospective dividend yields. Atlas Ateria is, is offering close to 7% in yield. Um, it's half that for, uh, for, for Transurban. Investors usually think that they should go for the highest yield because that gives you the highest return. And actually, in practice, it's actually the other way around. The market is telling you that Atlas Ateria carries more risk and, and there's more certainty with, with uh, Transurban. And that's translating into a lower yield and a higher valuation. So on a risk-adjusted basis, you have to go for a Transurban here. Although I can understand you go for Atlas Ateria, but there are more question marks there. They have to make more investments. Their, their toll roads are uh, probably... Uh, less attractive than and then the ones operated by uh, Transurban and that's also because Transurban almost has a monopoly in Australia so uh, whenever you pay money on a toll road it's most definitely going into into Transurban's coffers so uh, having said so um, I I think you you could buy at the Zateria here uh, because the share price looks very cheap and I I'm not aware that any any more bad news could possibly be priced in here um, although they have to be careful by saying these things. But I do think what investors have to prepare for is that the trajectory into recovery will be will be spun out in, in a more uh, moderate pace. And previously, we could have expected a more stronger pace. But economies in Europe and in the US, they, they will recover and traffic on those roads will recover. But it might take a long time before they're back at the level of 2019, though. Okay, so you've said that you prefer Transurban. Would you be buying Atlas Arteria because it's cheap today? Well, if, if, you, if you don't want to buy at Transurban, yes, you can buy Atlas Arteria. But I would prefer to buy Transurban. Okay. But yes, I would buy Atlas Arteria if, if, I, if someone puts a gun against my head and says, you can't buy Transurban. Well, um, okay, I think I get what you're saying. Andrew, could you make it a little bit more clear? I mean, really, it is whether you would want to put Atlas Arteria into any of your client portfolios. Uh, I'll, I'll give it a qualified no. And the qualified no is because being the ETF guy, I would buy an ETF that has tra both Transurban and also um, Atlas in there as well. Um, the yield is incredibly attractive, but as Rudy says, you know, the, the higher the yield, the more nervous I become. Rudy made an interesting point just before when he was talking about comparison of traffic and revenue numbers versus 2019, because that's really sort of the last comparison you can make after 2020, of course, we're in pandemic mode. Even now with inflation and therefore tolls going up, because that's really a benefit of this company and of toll road companies in general, they have an inflation uplift. They're still even now between six and eight percent on a revenue basis behind relative to where they were pre-2019. So it is a recovery reopening trade. Uh, their concessions last till 2035, so they can operate these roads for quite a, a period of time. But why would you play the game of, well, is Transurban better because it's got a natural monopoly 
or I could buy Atlas, but you know, Europe will eventually get its act together with due respect to our European friends. Or why wouldn't I just buy an ETF like IFRA, as an example, from our friends at Van Eck, which has its second biggest holding as Transurban, I think number six or seven is Atlas, and a whole range of other infrastructure assets in there as well. So me personally, I'd probably do IFRA because I'm mindful of rising bond yields, the impact that that will have on infrastructure evaluations. But rather than trying to pick a winner, I'd like to buy a basket. So it is a hold. Sorry, Rudy. Sorry, Nadine. Don't apologize no, no, to me. No, no. Hey, Rudy, would you and, buy and, Infra? Because that would solve Andrew your Winch, problem, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Andrew wins, mate. I'm, 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 he bowled me over. Mm-hmm. Andrew wins the argument. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. All right. Let me make sense of what we've just learned over the past half hour. Moss Group, MGH. Uh, look, it's a buy for Rudy. The only caution that he has is that it's quite newly listed, so he doesn't have a lot of history to go on. Look, Andrew sort of questions whether or not it's moving away from its core competencies while it's getting into property development, although that could also act uh, as a counterbalance if some of the other parts of its business slows down. It is a hold for him. Beach Energy. Andrew's been liking this one for a long time. He thinks that it's cheap. Perhaps the new CEO search is a bit of an amber light. He would also put his money into, you guessed it, an ETF called Fuel. Um, Look, Rudy thinks that these energy names have underperformed operationally, and we learned that in the most recent reporting season. It's going to be volatile. Uh, Look, he'd actually be trimming if you've got holdings in oil and gas companies and you've made some money. Uh, Beta Shares Global Agricultural Companies ETF Food. It's a hold for Rudy. It is a buy, unsurprisingly for Andrew. Um, He likes it. And it looks beyond the Australian borders, so it also gives you some of that international exposure as well. Gold Road, it is a better prospect for an investment uh, in comparison to Resolute for Andrew, but he wouldn't be buying it. Rudy would be holding it. He's a little less negative on the company. It has been doing quite well in terms of getting production up and running, but he would buy it on a significant pullback. And I think both guys agreed at the end of the program that you could gain exposure to Atlas Iteria to Transurban by buying the Infra ETF, I-F-R-A, stands for infrastructure, no doubt. Well, Andrew and Rudy, it was an absolute pleasure to have an hour to have a chat, a few laughs, and of course, pick your brains about these stocks and ETFs. Thank you. Thanks, Nadine. Rudy, thank you. Thank you. We'll see you later. See you soon. Okay. If you'd like us to cover a company, you can flick us an email at thecallosbiz.com.au or you can tweet to us as well at TV, which I know a number of you like to do. A reminder that you can find all of the call portfolio at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.